0: chapter eight of the terror a mystery this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org recording by jenny clements the terror by arthur machin what mr merritt found mr merritt began to pick up his health and spirits a good deal for the first morning or two of his stay at the doctor's he contented himself with a very comfortable deck chair close to the house where he sat under the shade of an old mulberry tree beside his wife and watched the bright sunshine on the green lawns on the creamy crests of the waves on the headlands of that glorious coast purple even from afar with the imperial glow of the heather on the white farmhouses gleaming in the sunlight high over the sea far from any turmoil from any troubling of men the sun was hot but the wind breathed all the while gently incessantly from the east and merritt who had come to this quiet place not only from dismay but from the stifling and oily airs of the smoky midland town, said that this east wind, pure and clear, and like well water from the rock, was new life to him. He ate a capital dinner at the end of his first day at Porth, and took rosy views as to what they had been talking about the night before. He said to Lewis, No doubt there must be trouble of some sort, and perhaps bad trouble. Still, Kitchener would soon put it all right. So things went on very well merritt began to stroll about the garden which was full of the comfortable spaces groves and surprises that only country gardens know to the right of one of the terraces he found an arbour or summer-house covered with white roses and he was as pleased as if he had discovered the pole he spent a whole day there smoking lounging and reading a rubbishy sensational story and declared that the devonshire roses had taken many years off his age then on the other side of the garden there was a filbert grove that he had never explored on any of his former visits and again there was a find deep in the shadow of the filberts was a bubbling well issuing from rocks and all manner of green dewy ferns growing about it and above it and an angelica springing beside it merritt knelt on his knees and hollowed his hand and drank the well water he said over his port that night that if all the water were like the water of the filbert well the world would turn to teetotalism it takes a townsman to relish the manifold and exquisite joys of the country it was not till he had begun to venture abroad that. Merritt found that something was lacking of the old rich peace that used to dwell in Merion. He had a favorite walk, which he never neglected, year after year. This walk led along the cliffs towards Miros, and then one could turn inland and return to Porth by deep winding lanes that went over the Alt. So Merritt set out early one morning and got as far as a sentry box at the foot of the path that led up to the cliff. There was a sentry pacing up and down in front of the box, and he called on Merritt to produce his pass or to turn back to the main road. Merritt was a good deal put out and asked the doctor about this strict guard, and the doctor was surprised. "'I didn't know they had put their bar up there,' he said. "'I suppose it's wise. We are certainly in the far west here. Still, the Germans might slip round and raid us and do a lot of damage just because Marion is the last place we should expect them to go for.' "'But there are no fortifications. Surely on the cliff?' "'Oh, no, I never heard of anything of the kind there.' "'Well, what's the point of forbidding the public to go on the cliff, then?' i can quite understand putting a sentry on top to keep a lookout for the enemy what i don't understand is a sentry at the bottom who can't keep a lookout for anything as he can't see the sea and why warn the public off the cliffs i couldn't facilitate a german landing by standing on pingareg even if i wanted to it is curious the doctor agreed some military reasons i suppose he let the matter drop perhaps because the matter did not affect him people who live in the country all year round country doctors certainly are little given to desultory walking in search of the picturesque. Lewis had no suspicion that sentries whose object was equally obscure were being dotted all over the country. There was a sentry, for example, by the quarry at Lahafangal, where the dead woman and the dead sheep had been found some weeks before. The path by the quarry was used a good deal, and its closing would have inconvenienced the people of the neighborhood very considerably. But the sentry had his box by the side of the track, and had his orders to keep everybody strictly to the path, as if the quarry was a secret fort it was not known till a month or two ago that one of these sentries was himself a victim of the terror the men on duty at this place were given certain very strict orders which from the nature of the case must have seemed to them unreasonable for old soldiers orders are orders but here was a young bank clerk scarcely in training for a couple of months who had not begun to appreciate the necessity of hard literal obedience to an order which seemed to him meaningless he found himself on a remote and lonely hillside he had not the faintest notion that his every movement was watched, and he disobeyed a certain instruction that had been given him. The post was found deserted by the relief. The sentry's dead body was found at the bottom of the quarry. This, by the way, but Mr. Merritt discovered again and again that things happened to hamper his walks and his wanderings. Two or three miles from Porth there is a great marsh made by the Afon River before it falls into the sea, and here Merritt had been accustomed to botanize mildly. He had learned pretty accurately the causeways of solid ground that led to the sea of swamp and ooze and soft yielding soil and he set out one hot afternoon determined to make a thorough exploration of the marsh and this time to find that rare bog bean that he felt for sure must grow somewhere in its wide extent he got into the by-road that skirts the marsh and to the gate which he had always used for entrance there was the scene as he had known it always the rich growth of reeds and flags and rushes the mild black cattle grazing on the islands of firm turf the scented procession of the meadow suite the royal glory of the loosestrife flaming pennons crimson and golden of the giant dock but they were bringing out a dead man's body through the gate a laboring man was holding open the gate on the marsh merritt horrified spoke to him and asked who it was and how it had happened they do say he was a visitor at porth somehow he had been drowned in the marsh whatever but it's perfectly safe i've been over it a dozen times well indeed we did always think so if he did slip by accident like and fall into the water it was not so deep it was easy enough to climb out again and this gentleman was quite young to look at him poor man and he has come to marry on for his pleasure and holiday and found his death in it did he do it on purpose is it suicide they say he had no reasons to do that here the sergeant of police in charge of the party interposed according to orders which he himself did not understand a terrible thing sir to be sure and a sad pity and i am sure this is not the sort of sight you have come to see down in Marion this beautiful summer so don't you think sir that it would have been more pleasant-like if you would leave us to the sad business of ours i have heard many gentlemen staying in porth say that there is nothing to beat the view from the hill over there not in the whole of wales everyone is polite in Marion, but somehow Merritt understood that in english this speech meant move on Merrick moved back to Porth. He was not in humor for any idle, pleasurable strolling after so dreadful a meeting with death. He made some inquiries in the town about the dead man, but nothing seemed known of him. It was said that he had been on his honeymoon, that he had been staying at the Porth Castle Hotel, but the people of the hotel declared that they had never heard of such a person. Merritt got the local paper at the end of the week. There was not a word of, in it of any fatal accident in the marsh. He met the sergeant of police in the street. That officer touched his helmet with the utmost politeness in the "'Hope you are enjoying yourself, sir. Indeed, you do look a lot better already.' But as to the poor man who was found drowned or stifled in the marsh, he knew nothing. The next day Merritt made up his mind to go to the marsh to see whether he could find anything to account for so strange a death. What he found was a man with an armlet standing by the gate. The armlet had the letters C.W. on it, which are understood to mean Coast Watcher. The watcher said he had strict instructions to keep everybody away from the marsh. Why, he didn't know.' but some said that the river was changing its course since the new railway embankment was built and the marsh had become dangerous to people who didn't know it thoroughly indeed sir he added it is part of my orders not to set foot on the other side of that gate myself not for one scraggant of a minute merrick glanced over the gate incredulously the marsh looked as it always had there was plenty of sound hard ground to walk on he could see the track that he used to follow as firm as ever he did not believe in the story of the changing course of the river and lewis said he had never heard of anything of the kind but merritt had put the question in the middle of general conversation he had not led up to it from any discussion of the death in the marsh and so the doctor was taken unawares if he had known of the conversation in merritt's mind between the alleged changing of the alphonse course and the tragical event in the marsh no doubt he would have confirmed the official explanation he was above all things anxious to prevent his sister and her husband from finding out that the invisible hand of terror that ruled at was ruling also in marion lewis himself had little doubt that the man who has found dead in the marsh had been struck down by the secret agency whatever it was that had already accomplished so much of evil but it was a chief part of the terror that no one knew for certain that this of that particular event was to be ascribed to it people do occasionally fall over cliffs through their own carelessness and as the case of garcia the spanish sailor showed cottagers and their wives and children are now and then the victims of savage and purposeless violence "'Lewis had never wandered about the marsh himself, "'but Remnant had pottered around it and about it "'and declared that the man who met his death there "'his name was never known, Porth, at all events, "'must either have committed suicide "'by deliberately lying prone in the ooze and stifling himself, "'or else must have been held down in it. "'There were no details available, "'so it was clear that the authorities "'had classified this death with the others. "'Still, the man might have committed suicide, "'or he might have had a sudden seizure "'and fallen in the slimy water face down.' and so on. It was possible to believe that case A or B or C was in the category of ordinary accidents or ordinary crimes, but it was not possible to believe that A and B and C were all in that category, and thus it was to the end, and thus it is now. We know that the terror reigned and how it reigned, but there were many dreadful events ascribed to its rule, about which there must always be room for doubt. For example, there was the case of the Marianne, the rowing boat which came to grief in so strange a manner, almost under Merritt's eyes. In my opinion, he was quite wrong in associating the sorry fate of the boat and her occupants with a system of signalling by flashlights, which he detected, or thought he detected, on the afternoon in which the Marianne was capsized. I believe his signalling theory to be all nonsense, in spite of the naturalised German governess who was lodging with her employers in the suspected house. But on the other hand, there is no doubt in my own mind that the boat was overturned and those in it drowned by the work of the terror." End of chapter 8.